It is undoubtedly the best spring salmon fishery for fly-caught, heading and tailing spring salmon on a lake in Europe. It will not be beaten. Not a chance. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. Although the salmon season has only just got underway, some of you may be looking to make plans for your spring fishing. And one fishery that has always caught my eye and that I'm hoping to fish is Caramore Lake, which is in the far corner of Mayo on the Eris Peninsula. Renowned as a spring salmon lock, it usually features with some of the earliest salmon caught in Ireland each year. But as we find out, Caramore is an awful lot more as well. And for this fishery focus episode, we speak to Brian Hope, member of the local Bangor Eris Angling Club, to give us the finer points on making the most out of your fishing on the lock. And Tom, before we hear from Brian, uh, he certainly doesn't undersell it as a fishery. <laughs> no, good man, Dara. No, he does not. He does not. But well, to be honest with you, Dara, you know, they really have something there. You know, I think we, we touched on it here uh, last year when we were talking to David McAvoy and from the Delphi. And remember he was saying about, um, you know, the, in Ireland, we have probably some of the best early season salmon fishing and spring salmon fishing to be got anywhere in the world. And, you know, Caramore is part of that. And it, it's, as you say, it is really well known as an early season salmon fishery. Now, I, I've actually fished it once. And it's a beautiful spot, beautiful spot. Didn't have any luck. Um, but even for me on the west of Ireland here, it's still, you know, it's a good distance away. It's nearly two hours for me here from Carnamona to go to it. Yeah, it's about an hour and 40, 45 minutes. So it's a good distance away. And like, I'd love to fish it more. Chatting to, um, to Brian there, I mean, as you say, he doesn't undersell it, but he definitely tells us about other aspects of it, aside from the, the spring salmon side of it as well. Yeah, because in fairness, and this is, I think, is always the danger, isn't it, with fisheries is that, like, even take the drows, you know, you think you associate the drows with January, you know, and, and the only reason I suppose really why I wanted to get on Caramore is because, again, you'd hear reports kind of early season, oh, you know, early season salmon caught on Caramore. And the likes of these fisheries are actually a lot more, you know, uh, in terms mm. of like Brian really talks about the grills run and the potential, you know, how magnificent the fishing is there on it. Uh, and the river as well talks about the river as well and the fishing that's to be had there so yeah for me it was kind of eye-opening in that sense is that yeah okay look if you want a good chance of a a spring salmon you know you obviously kind of have to take into account you know best chances um for these kind of fisheries but kind of don't neglect them for later in the year as well um because actually in fairness the drowse is somewhere i wanted to go kind of later in the year (laughs) as well just to try and take advantage of it as well have you ever been to the drowse later in the year uh, I was in the drows. Well, God, what time of year? I think it might have been. Shane could correct me on this. I think it kind of been, might have been April or May. Yeah, um, no, I was actually doing. Uh, yeah, but it was. It was but it, do you know what it was? It was more when you're there in the drows and it's the freezing cold and you know that the, the frost is on the ground. And then when you go there and it's a summer's evening, you know, and the the the, the bright nights and it's just yeah, it's just a different different atmosphere in these places isn't it you know when, yeah. you're, when you're there you know just it's a it's more alluring i suppose is, is <laughs> what you think but like so brian is a great way of describing it like because i was just picturing oh, it really does you know beside the atlantic there the sun setting you know you're casting to free rising salmon taking them in by the bucket load <laughs> yeah no it's great like you can tell you you can tell how much uh, what the lake means to him but very interesting, like as well in the difference in conditions where where they catch salmon on the lake compared to anything I'd be used to here in Connemara. Um, but 
back to what we were saying, other aspects of it. The sea trout part of it was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Now, I had heard a couple of friends of mine had gone up and fished it last year. Um, I was in, I think it was around July, Ju- uh, July, August. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I was chatting to them and uh, they had fantastic fishing. And part of Caramore that I wasn't really aware of, you know? Yeah. I think this will give people a good taste of it. Like, and, and Brian is brilliant in terms of, you know, describing the water, um, you know, the conditions um, and, you know, it's, and, and taking us through the different seasons. So I do hope people, I think we'll get um, a lot out of this and add it to the list. <laughs> yeah, the growing, growing list. <laughs> yeah. I think if you, if you, after you've listened to this and you don't have a Ken to go fishing, Caramore, I, I don't know what's up with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's hear from Brian Hope now. And I first asked him to give us an overview of Caramore Lake. Well, Caramore is in, it's in Bangaruris. Bangaruris is in Northwest Mayo. So it's about 40 kilometers west of Ballina, about 50 kilometers north of Westport. So it's right up there in the top left-hand corner of Mayo. It's uh, it's a lake of about nine square kilometers. So it's very small. You know, it's if you look to com- at it comparatively versus the likes of Mask, like Mask would be nearly 10 times that size. Or, you know, Corrib, I suppose, would be 20 times that size. It's probably half the size of Sheelan, or, you know, a little bit smaller than Loch Cara. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a big lake. It's, it's, it's a strange shaped lake. It's, it's nearly six kilometers long, I suppose, four kilometers wide. So in old money, I suppose that's four miles by two and a half. But it's got a narrow chute straight up the middle of it. It runs kind of south to north. And uh, at, its, at its narrowest point, it's probably about 800 metres wide. So it's, it's, it's a very strange, very strange layout of the lake. Um, it, it's, look, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a fantastic salmon fishery. It's, it's, it's known locally as the Lake of the Ravens. Uh, you will see the ravens cruising around quite high on it. It's not like there's hundreds of them, but you'll see a few of them cruising around as you as you as you fish around it. It's it's a very barren area. It was uh, it was actually commercially netted, like a lot of inland uh, inland waterways up to I think 1947. But um, amazingly, it was the 1980s before they started targeting salmon on it. Which just sounds bizarre. Who were they targeting before? They weren't targeting them up to then. No. When they were netting it, was it everything like was it sea trout, trout, or was it, you know, when they were doing it commercially? When they were doing well, it commercially, it, was it salmon that was then the goal? They were definitely netting it for the salmon. Yeah, they built an ice house into the the side of the the road down there, in the south the south east corner of it. I suppose you'd say. Where they had a did a nice outcrop of a la- of land where they netted from and yeah they must they must have been I don't know very much about it but they must have been selling on the salmon you know it it ceased in 1947 so what what exactly happened from 1950 to 1980 I don't know what you're saying is like sorry but it really only became a salmon fishery rather line in the 80s really exactly exactly. Wow. I don't, 
I know from talking to the, the fishery manager down there, he said to me that a couple of Germans went out in a in a clapped up boat and they went trolling across the lake and they came in with three spring salmon. And then it took off. It took off from there. Was it like I'm just interested in the fact that, you know, Connemara, you had a lot of tourists and visiting anglers, you know, going to the different fisheries. But like you're saying, Carmore was only just nearly by accident in the 1980s. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't honestly know, Dara. I really don't. It's it was, it was well, wow, yeah. Well, my time, you know, but it, it, it was known for its sea trout. It always had the sea trout, but I don't think it was actually targeted by anyone as a fishery. I'm sure the river was, but I, I don't have any other information on that, but I'm sure if people went back through books and things, they'd find the river being mentioned. But it was only, it was, it was genuinely only in, in the 80s it took off, you know. Now, I know around that time as well, the, the lake was risen. So they rose the lake by about a foot in uh, sometime in the 80s as well. And that really aided the, you know, the salmon came in, in, in more numbers as a result of that. I, I don't know how big a factor it was, but I think, I think it was raised to support local water schemes and things like that. Just, you know, like what I think I may have mentioned earlier, Bangaruris has about, 300 people living in it but you know the area around Urus itself there'd be there'd be 10,000 people around all of Urus now and I'm not sure how many of them are actually supported by the water I'm sure the water is only the very immediate area one of the reasons I suppose why the 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 lake is so good for salmon fishing now is it's a very shallow lake you know it's uh, it's an it is an average depth of two meters and a maximum depth of just under four meters, which is astonishing. You know, I mean, over half the lake is under two meters in depth. So you can really get a salmon lion anywhere in the lake, absolutely anywhere. Now, it is, it is, it is best known for, for its lies classically for salmon around the mouths of the rivers, you know, there's a the most important river for the salmon spawning would be the Glen Cullen River. There's the most important river for the sea trout spawning would be the Glen Turk River. But you'll also get a great lie of salmon outside the Glen Turk as well. There are the rivers flowing into the lake. They're they're both up in the in the northeast corner of the lake. And you know, that's where a lot of the salmon are, but there's a couple of other very prolific bays on the lake. You have a bay called Paradise Bay. That's well named. I remember, fishing, I remember fishing with a, uh, a fella from Westport called Paddy Burns, God rest him, who used to fish in it. And he said, if this is paradise, I'm in hell. He couldn't get a, <laughs> he couldn't get a fish in it. But, but you know, it's, it's like uh, there's another super lake there, or super bay called, we, some of us call it Bog Bay. The locals call it the Black Banks. You know, there, everybody has their own spots when it comes when it comes to salmon, and you know, like a good gun dog going out into a field, the dog will always tend to the run to the corner where he put up the last game bird. And it's kind of the same with us when we're fishing. You go to where you caught your last fisher, but um, it's it, it, it there's a huge amount of water on the lake. You know, for, for a lake of only nine kilometers square in surface area, you you could really pick up a salmon anywhere in it. Absolutely anywhere. And was it always spring salmon fish um, mainly like that? I always had a good run of spring salmon. 
my knowledge of it, it probably was best known as a grids fishery. But for some unknown reason, the grids numbers dropped off a lot um, around the early 2000s. Not sure why it still gets a good grids run, but it's not prolific. I mean, it was the classic grids fishery where you could go out and get, you know, three men to a boat. We'd, we'd regularly fish three to the boat. And even you could rise a dozen to 15 salmon in a day and catch seven or eight grids. Whereas now in high summer, you'd, you, you, mightn't, you, you might pick up one or two on your day out. And I know that sounds that sounds great for most anglers, but it used to be an awful lot better. It's certainly more prolific nowadays as a spring salmon fishery. Certainly. Is that when you get most of the visiting anglers coming to it? Yeah, I suppose. If I was to talk about the, the season, it starts on January the 1st. But it doesn't get fished really until probably mid-February, you know. The, I, I remember the, the fishery manager down there, Seamus Henry, I remember one year on Valentine's Day, I suppose he should have been at home for the dinner. He was out fishing the lake. It's maybe 20 years ago now. He caught a fish on Valentine's Day, a lovely big fish, about, I think it's about 11 or 12 pounds. But generally, we'd, we'd go fishing. Uh, for me, it'd be from the 1st of March, as soon as the weather as soon as the temperatures would rise, you know, if you if you saw the temperature, if you got a day, if you got a day where the temperature got up to 10 degrees, once you hit the magic double figures, you knew you were in with a great chance because definitely the fish are running into the lake from January. But they're only starting to move in their numbers in, in March, coming in in March, really. And I'd say the peak of the run is is kind of mid late April. And by May, it's uh, by May, it's pretty stuffed at that stage. But uh, you know, we we'd be heading down there in March. I, I always say it's it's only the mad Mayo men that fish in March would fly. But uh, there'll always be a few lads down there throwing the flies in March. It's it's hard going. You could be you could be four or five degrees temperature down there. But I think the nature of the lake being so shallow that as soon as the air temperatures rise at all, the water lifts that maybe that half a degree in, in temperature and that gets the fish active. Yeah, the water, the water temperature will correspond a lot quicker to the air temperature because there's less of it to heat up. Just want, want to yeah. ask you there, Brian, how far is the lake from the sea and is it how much water does it need to get from that bit of stretch of the river? There lies the beauty of Caramore. It doesn't need any. It doesn't need any water. No. It the the Munhin River is the only river exiting the lake. The Munhin River joins the Owen Moor River, and we we'll, we we'll have a little chat on the Owen Moor River later on. It joins the the Owen Moor River after about a three kilometer run. Now, it's a very narrow river, the Munhin River. You know, in in spots, it's only three four meters wide. So you'd be trying to figure out how the heck can the salmon get up there. But it's, it's, the amazing thing is, it's only four and a half metres, the lake, above sea level. So you have a three-kilometre three run down the Munhin from Caramore Lake down to the Owen Moor River. 
and there's a rise of less than five meters. So the salmon just shoot through it. I mean, you, you like, if I was to look at the classic March weather, you know, the wind, the wind tends to turn to the east in March, I've noticed in the last few years. It could be there for a week. It could be there for four or five weeks even. You could have east winds. And the, the east winds are very light. There's no rain. There's blue skies. It's normally settled weather. It's everything you'd be thinking are wrong about fishing, especially for the salmonoids. You know, it's tough weather for trout. Mm. But um, I, know, I know the Beltraw boys, the other good salmon lake in Mayo for fly fishing, they would hate the east wind and, and they really would hate the, hate the bright weather. But in Caramore, and, and I say this, and I, I know it'll sound daft to the seasoned fly fishermen, the brightest of sunshine, the lightest of wind, and coming from the east, and you will just have a massive day fishing on Caramore. That book's a trend, isn't it? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Everything. It yeah. really does. I, I look back over all the years, and sure, look, us fishermen love taking pictures of ourselves with the fish and everything. You look back through all the pictures, the photos that have been taken, you'd nearly always see a blue sky in the background. Nearly always. Well, because that, that's that's interesting about it as well, because the bit I know about it, I, I've only I fished it once and about 20 years ago now. But you said there that it was shallow, and I remember being told that. And if it gets windy, it actually churns up, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The the wind the wind, if you get if you get a if you get that light wind from the east, it's great. If you get a strong wind from the west or the south, it will certainly churn up. What happens is because the lake is so, because it's so narrow or so shallow, I should say, it's got a sandy bottom and just it, it and being shallow, it's got a short pitched wave. You know, if, it, if, you, were, if, if you were out on mask or on carob, you'd be hoping for these big rolling waves, you know. Well, if you're on Caramore and you're in a rolling wave, you should be on the high stool. It's the only place you should be. There's, there's no, you, you know, there's no point staying on the lake. I think what I do to, to try and understand the wind is, you know, and I, I suppose most of us anglers that have half a dozen different weather apps on our phone and we pick the one that suits us on the day to convince us to go fishing. But there's, there's you definitely... Know that one, you know what that one is called, Brian? It's called anyweatheryouwant.com. <laughs> Right. <laughs> absolutely absolutely the one the one i use is yrno which i find very good it gives uh it gives wind speed speed in meters meters per second and i i really find it the best but look it's this it's they use all the same information from the boys at sea and the weather stations on land they just mix it up their own way to come up with their own i suppose algorithms and predict their own weather but it seems to be very accurate on the wind and like what we found in in caramore is if you have if you have a wind from the north or the east it's not really going to do a lot of damage unless it gets up to about seven and eight meters per second which is probably about 25 kilometers an hour you know which is only 15 16 miles an hour now that's kind of that's force four, force five, Beaufort scale, you know, and that's that's gorgeous on mask and carob. But force four, force five, you're gone in Caramore. It's it's just, you know, there isn't there isn't a tree to be seen. 
the wind just sweeps down off the hills and will just go straight across the lake two to four meters deep it's just going to churn it up and make it dirty but you get away with it if it's coming from the, the east or the north maybe but um on the Beaufort, you're definitely looking at, you know, force two or force three, which is about, which is about three to five meters per second, which is only, that's like, that's only 10 to, 10 to 14 kilometers an hour, which really is what, what's that, six to 10 miles an hour? That's what you want. You, you need a, a lovely light wind. That is amazing because like, as you know, there are salmon here in the Corrib, and I do target them occasionally. But for me to target them to fly, I need uh, at least 25 kilometers an hour. You need a big rolling wave that you, you were talking about, the exact antithesis of what you were saying there. You know, and when we were talking beforehand, uh, before we came on, we were mentioned about how you uh, quite often on Caramore, in the flat cam almost, or in a tiny little ripple, the salmon will come up and take and Unbelievable. So I, I, I never forget the day, the day I caught my first spring salmon. Now, I, I started fishing at late, late 90s, probably 98, 99 for grilts. And there was very good grilts fishing then. But I, I started targeting spring salmon in maybe 2003. And it, it took me a couple of years to get one. And, and I think a lot of it is psychological and you're just waiting for a bit of luck and you've risen a few and you just haven't got one. And then suddenly you get one, and the next day you go out, you get two, and maybe another day you get three. You're saying, Jesus, why wasn't I able to do that all the time? But the first, the day I caught my first, first spring salmon on it was the bank holiday Monday in 2005. And I was fishing with two great friends of mine, Toby Gibbons and David Lennon. And like we always do, you'd know Toby from the trout scene, Tom. Yeah, like, I know Toby well. Like we always do, we went out. We went out, and the first drift we went on, sure Toby got his salmon. He got it out of the way, nice and early, nice and handy. <laughs> and that was in the bay, right beside where the boats are, the black banks they call it. And we went up the lake, and we spent the day up the lake throwing flies and getting nothing. And we came back down to we came back down to the black banks again. It was about half seven. And we were drifting along and the wind had gone very light. We were hardly moving. And about 40 yards ahead of us, we saw this big lump of a fresh spring salmon just jumping through the air. They normally don't show on Caramores. It's one of those lakes where, you know, if you saw a salmon every three days or out jumping, you'd say that's all. But the great thing is that you'd see them jumping at your flies very regularly. And yeah. Look, I'll talk. I'll talk a bit more about that in a little while and how exciting that is. But we saw this big salmon jumping and, you know, we drifted down close to him very slowly because, the, you know, there wasn't much wind. And the fair play to the lads, they let me sort of fly out and cover him and up he came, bang. And I, I was slow playing him. I suppose it took a good 20 minutes to get him in. But at the same time, he was, he was 10 pound weight. And he's probably, you know, Caramore doesn't, doesn't throw up huge spring salmon. They average seven pound. They kind of go from a range of five up to nine. So a very good fish is above nine. And, you know, you might only catch one fish at 10 pounds every, I suppose, every 20 fish you get. There might only be one of them would be a double figure. And they, they rarely go high into double figures. I know going back about 
six years ago, I think, Mervyn Corway. He's on the committee down there. He had the opening day fish at the end of March. He was 14 and a half pounds, which is a huge fish for the lake. It really is, you know. But anyway, I got I got, I got that fish in and uh, Toby went on the oars because at that stage it was gone flat cam when I landed the fish. And David was still in the boat with us and we have a technique where you'd, be, you'd row along and you'd throw the flies out and you'd let it turn just outside you. It's a kind of a, it, it's like a side cast and you let the fly just turn directly opposite you just real quick and you, you, you don't even, you don't even let line out. You're only just throwing a flick of the line, maybe five, six yards and letting it do a quick turn, flick again. And, uh, there was a small little bit of white paper. It looked like, a, we always refer to it as the Yorkshire toffee wrapper because we went and we picked it up afterwards. But there was, a, there was a, a little bit of white paper, maybe an inch square out on the water ahead of us. Up comes this salmon and splashes at the sweet wrapper in the flat can. So Toby rode the boat over and Dave threw the flies over. Up came the fish, bang, got the fish. We ended up with the fish each for the day on the bank holiday Monday. Amazing story. In, Last fish in the flat can. The sweet wow. rapper fly. <laughs> we went, we went, it was so calm. We went back and we picked up the sweet wrapper afterwards. And that's what it looked like. It looked like a little Yorkshire toffee wrapper. <laughs> uh, tell me this, Frank. When, um, when is the first fish of the season kind of generally caught? Like, do you get a few lunatics out with the fly this time of year? Or? Yeah, I qualify. Well, no, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't qualify in that category, but I qualify for the first week of March. You'd probably get a couple of lads going out in February, I'd say, Dara. You know, you, you might get a guy, one or two guys going out in January if you got it very, very mild. But, I mean, that's very rare. In general, I would say over the last 10 years, the first spring salmon would be caught between the 10th and 20th of March. As soon as the weather hits double figures. That's what I would say. They could be got before it, but... You know, you might only have one or two boats going out at most over a week up to the 10th of March. You know, it's, it's it really, it's, it's, it's awful cold. It's bitter down there. You know, it really is. It's wide open. If you get a little bit of rain on your hands and you're throwing flies that time of year, your hands just freeze up and it's hard to get them warm. Now, you can spin from the boat. Trolling is not allowed. Shore fishing is not allowed. It's fly only, but you can spin from the boat up until the end of March. I remember one year down there. I think I think it was I think it was about two thousand and six, maybe. There's a local anger down there, Martin Martin Ruland. He said to me he had twelve fish one March. He caught eight, eight of them on on a spinner, and he said it was too easy, so he went fly fishing and he got four more. That, that that march was probably the or the, sorry yeah that march was probably one of the years where the, the lake had its, its greatest ever run of fish I think I think 2006 I remember I think Dennis Moss who who had, uh, has written a couple of books on on fly fishing for trout and salmon in Ireland I think he wrote an article on it I think in 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 the April of 2006 i think it was about the 17th to the 20th you know good friday through the easter monday i think in that four day stretch there was over 90 salmon landed on caramore lake Jesus. Bizarre wow. salmon. i mean it, it, 
it, it's it's unbelievable. They look, the the lake the lake gets more than two thousand salmon going into it every year, every year without fail. But I was actually going to say that, Brian. Sorry, is has the have you seen the numbers of fish that runs has it dropped off in the last few years or? I think, I think, as I mentioned earlier, the grills would have certainly dropped off, being honest, from the early 2000s. But the springers have remained, they've remained steady. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if the conditions are right, and, and we'd always say the spring season down there, it runs from mid-March to mid-June. It's a three-month season. And we, we, we were even down there in uh i went down once towards the end of august and once towards the end of september this year and we rose 11 salmon in the middle of september and we rose six or seven salmon in august now they're doing the night they're, they're stale fish they're just coming up playing with the fly but we managed to pick two the second day i think and one the first day naturally you, you put them back I, I put most of the fish back at the best of times down there anyway but um, the season, as I said, it run from mid-March to mid-June. But, but by the middle of May, two months in, it's pretty stuffed at that stage with spring fishing. I mean, if you if you got if you've got half decent conditions in the middle of May, I'd say you have two huge opportunities during the day because salmon are funny. Salmon turn on and turn off when it suits yeah. them. You get you get periods when you know periods when the you, like, without a doubt, Caramore is the only lake that I've ever fished where if I'm going down a, a drift and I see a guy 100 yards ahead of me and his rod is bent in a salmon, I am absolutely thrilled because I know there's every chance I'm going to hit a fish. Really do. You know, you'd be, quite often when you'd be fishing, we'd, we'd all, we all want to be in the fish, but it's definitely the only <laughs> lake. Definitely the only lake where if you see a guy in a fish, you're thrilled because you know there's a great chance of you picking one up very soon after it. And and May would be a prime month for that because there's lots of fish in it. And, you know, it's, it's a long day during May. They come on a couple of times during the day. Definitely they come on where the whole lake, you know, they move on it. Otherwise, you know, you could just pick one up at, at any, any time, anywhere. Um, the freshest fish... Definitely the 10th to the 20th of April. You know, they're sea lice, loads of them. They're, they're coming in and they're coming in in shoals. Like you, 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 you could genuinely, if you had two or three lads in a boat, you could hit a fish and you could turn around and go back on the drift straight after it. And there'd be another half a dozen fish in the shoal in the exact same spot. You know, they, they, they tend to come in in little groups and... You could pick a couple of fish out of it very quickly. You know, you could, you could pick two or three in an hour. No problem. Just going to ask you there for people listening. Tactics, what do you use? Single-handed trout rods? Or do you use, you know, people, people ask you use double-handed rods, the springers there? I've seen, seen a few people using the double-handers. Um, yeah, I suppose down to matter of choice, Tom. I, I'd use the double-hander on the river, but on the lake... Bog standard eleven foot Shakespeare Oracle. Um, I'd use an eight nine because I think the the quicker you can get them in, the quicker you can get them back, and it's it's pretty easy to revive them. Um, a lot of lads would use the Oracle seven eight. I I use the eight nine. Um, 
I'd use a very, very basic sinking line or a floating line with a sink tip, maybe a 10-foot sink tip would be the best, something like that. But we fish, we fish very much brown trout style. You know, it's throw it out, retrieve it back, big long dibble. The salmon love the dibble. They really do. I mean, it's it's amazing to be dibbling a fly, you know, four or five yards out in front of you. And this big lad, you know, seven, eight, nine pounds, sea lice, silver shine in yeah. the sunshine, in a blue sky with no wind, heads and tails in front of you. It's madness. It, it really is. Would you ever, would you be um, targeting them by sight as well, Brian? No, no. But if you saw a fish jump, we'd always hop on the oars. We, the way we fish with three in a boat, we'd, we'd always have one person on the oars and you know, we, we wouldn't go straight down a drift. You'd kind of move over and back or you'd you'd hug relatively close to the shoreline in spots that you'd have got them in before. Or, you know, if you're, if you're not moving them in the shallows, you know, the shallows tend to fish that little bit better later in the day. You know, during the day, you'd go out a bit deeper. But but all the time, remember, you're, you're, you're only really in one to three, three and a half meters of water. But yeah, if you if you saw a fish hopping there, right, and you were within rowing range, if you threw the flies over them, you have a huge chance of, of getting them. But you'd only maybe see one fish moving like that every two or three days. You'd be out. And generally, just back then, the tactics patterns are they? Are they use salmon flies? Are they what size are they? Tens, eights mainly. All we'd ever fish is eights. B B one seven fives, the good, good strong Kamazan hook. Because you don't, you certainly don't want to be straight, and one of your trout flies in them. You know, we 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 tie the flies specifically for Caramore, um, all very standard flies. Tom Green Peters, Bibios, Clarets, a few muddlers. Muddlers can be great crack on the bob. You know, we would we would put up um, doubles or trebles on the tail the odd time if the weather was cold. And you want to get down maybe a, a foot under the water, but de- definitely, I, I'd say, I'd say seven or eight out of ten fish hit the top. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. They're so free rising. It's you know, it's it's you know, if you're to be on if you're to be on Beltra, you could be going down two or three foot to try and get them, but on Caramore, they're going to come up and they're going to hit it. And you know, the the dibble is great fun. I remember, I remember one day outside of Glen, Glen Cullen Bay, again with the the two lads I fish with, and and David Lennon was was he rose a salmon five times before he got him, and they were all they were all within you know there were five simultaneous casts. It wasn't like we'd go back over them. He he rose them out far. The fish came a bit closer. The fish went by the bow of the boat. We could see the fish. And the fifth time, he, he literally turned the rod sideways by the bow of the boat and out the back, up the salmon came and hit the fly on the top. He was only a yard away from the boat. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Tell me this, Brian, in terms of how many boats on the lake, is it all through the club? All through the club. And um, there are a couple of the locals down there who'd have their own boats on it. But you can you can rent a boat out for the day through... The fishery manager down there, Seamus Henry, they're all 19-foot boats, mostly anglers' fancies. Um, you'd probably get 10 to a, 
a maximum of a dozen fish, a dozen boats on the lake at any day. They wouldn't like any, Seamus wouldn't allow any more than that out because they, they tend to congregate a lot of the time up, up near the river mouths, you know, so you don't, you don't want too many boats. It gets a bit, a bit cumbersome if you have two, people too close and things like that. The, boat, the boats are very well priced. I think they're 30 euros for the day is the price. Um, a permit to go out in the lake for a day is only 40 euro. So if you, if you had three lads to a boat at 30 euro, a permit each 40 euro, you, you, you can get spring salmon fishing for 50 euro for the day. And it is undoubtedly the best spring salmon fishery for fly caught. As I said, heading and tailing spring salmon on a lake in Europe. It will not be beaten. Not a chance. I've got the headline now for the episode. <laughs> 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 um, tell me this, Brian. Is it what about guides? Can you hire guides to take you out? Or? Yeah, I should. I should have mentioned that. There's 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 a couple of local guides down there. A couple of local B and Bs where you could stay in the town itself, and um, you could stay in in Evelyn Cosgrove's B and B. It's uh, Hillcrest House. Um, her husband Richard is the secretary of the club. You could you could be there with him. Uh, Heather View with John Cosgrove. John is a fantastic ghillie and angler down there. He's a great ghillie to take out. Great for stories. All his clients are repeat clients. They really like him. To be honest, like any lake, you'd be better off taking a ghillie the first few times you go out on it. And um, it's a lake where the wind can pick up very quickly. And if it does, you know, the, there are a few shallow areas in it and they can be dangerous. You know, you'll be, you'll be safer off being with a ghillie. Yeah? You, can, you can book any of the ghillies through Seamus, the fishery manager, Seamus Henry. And in terms of the visiting anglers, do they come from far and wide? Ah, yeah, they come, they, they, they come internationally. And, and every Dara, you know, there's, there's, there's people that there's, I know lads down there who drive down in drive down from Dublin on a Friday and stay there till Sunday evening at dark and go back up home to Dublin and Kildare. And, you know, some, some of our, our great club members would have travelled all the way down from the north. Larry McAlinden, God rest him, who passed away last year only. He fought, fought a battle for a long time. He was a great man, great club member, committee member. He would, you know, he would have travelled down to committee meetings from from the north down, all the way down so lots of anglers coming down from from all stretches of the country but sure why not it won't it won't be beaten as a fly fishery it, it just won't and another reason and i want to bring it in now because we've just touched on it sea trout sometimes it's forgotten but it's quite a good sea trout fishery as well brian isn't it uh it it was a phenomenal sea trout fishery and um, it got a little bit quiet uh, I suppose 2010, 2012, around, around that area. And, you know, the, the club wondered why. And, you know, the, the club are very fortunate in that they have, a, they, have a, they have a fantastic committee and they always have had. The committee is made up of, uh, of anglers and local local landowners, many of whom wouldn't even be, be fishermen. So they give all the stakeholders involved, which makes for a great fishery. 
And you know, it, it was observed that the main the main spawning river would have been the Glen Turk River. And they had a massive rhododendron problem on that river, and there was no light getting into the river. So what they did was, I, I think in about 2014, they undertook a three-year plan to engage with a contractor to, you know, re- to properly cu- cultivate all the rhododendrons and, and to get the correct permissions in place from all the relevant local authorities and, and, and bodies to, to be able to remove them. And they did remove them. And honest to God, for the last couple of years, the sea trout runs have just gone through the roof again. And there's no, there's no doubt that that work has obviously oh, paid, paid dividends. Worked brilliantly because, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. The sea trout are back. I know I, know I was talking recently with, with a friend of mine and he said they had two sea trout over two pounds in the same day last year, which, you know, when we're used to fishing for sea trout in the west of Ireland, Sea trout, you know, you might go out when, when, they're, when they're at their peak and they're in and they're fresh and they're giddy and they're in shoals. I mean, to the boat and in, in any of the good, the good fisheries, you could, you could raise 20, 30 sea trout to the day. And we were, we were rising that every day on Caramore, but they weren't, they weren't the classic 8 to 10, 11 ounce sea trout. You know, these guys were good sea trout. They were from kind of 11 ounces up to pound and a quarter. Maybe one in every half a dozen of them was hitting a pound and a half. And one in every 20 fish or something like that was, was close to two pounds. So we're getting that's a nice a good stamp. stamp. Yeah, that's a good stamp of fish. That is a good stamp of fish for West Coast sea trout. You'll, you'll have a lot of lads that'll tell you, oh, geez, we got a few sea trout that were three pound weight, but they're only small yeah. grits, you know? Yeah, <laughs> Brian, tell us um, what about fish in the river? The river is very good. Also, um, I think I mentioned earlier that the lake has a run of probably in excess of two thousand fish. I'd say the river has a run in excess of three thousand fish. There's a counter on the river, so it's it's, it's you know they'll be able to tell you how well it's doing. Um, the club own. A six-kilometer stretch running about, I suppose, just over four kilometers up from the town and a kilometer and a half maybe down from the town. I think there's over 30 named pools on it, and they're mainly running pools. You know, the the river would be the river range from 15 to maybe 25, 30 meters at its widest. Fast water, they're, they're fantastic, really fantastic fly water. You know, the, the tops of the pools all have a run coming into them from the, the pool above it, and the bottom of the pool would, would be a little bit deeper and slower. So what, what you can find is the salmon run from one pool into the next, and they'd be sitting at the bottom of the pool, or they'd be waiting in the fast water at the top of the pool, or, you know, they might just be running straight through the pool. So you you could pick them up anywhere, but you know, it's, I suppose there's, there's there's a bit of luck to it, like everything else, and you need to be in the right pool at the right time. And 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 if you, if you are, you you would absolutely pick up, you know, you'd pick up three salmon and three casts, and it could be in any, in any part of the pool, and you could find yourself in a pool, and you you pull three salmon, and 
you know, the fish are going, there might be a shoal of fish moving through and the guy in the pool above might hit a few. And, you know, you might get the timing wrong and you might walk between pools and you might miss them. You know, you get great days and you get, you get days where, where you'd be wondering what's going on at all. But it's beautiful water, really beautiful. And again, the permits are great value. I think the permits are the same as the lake permit. You book them through the fishery manager and they're about 40 euro. So you get, you get to fish a, a fantastic salmon river for, for very good value. And uh, there's two shifts on it. You can fish from six in the morning to two o'clock or you can fish from two o'clock through to, to 10 o'clock. You'd say kind of March to June, that's the kind of best time to target. There are different, there are different, um, I suppose there are different strain of fish. The, the, the river fish are, are river fish and the lake fish are lake fish and they, 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 they don't mix themselves up like salmon. They go, they go to where they're from. The, the river would start to fish from April and it would fish right through the season, lads. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's one period in it, and if you get it right, there's a, there's a run of big fish go through it, and you know the river has bigger fish, and you, you, get, a, you get a run of fish through it. In one flood, they'll come through. could be any time. It could be the middle of May, the middle of June, or early July, but you, there will be a run going through it. And there's fish up to 16 pounds in it every year. And, you know, that run would average, really would average, you know, a fish of 10 to 12 pounds. You know, the, you get the normal grilts in summer, probably, you know, late June, July and August. They're averaging between four and eight pounds. And you'll always have a chance of a bigger fella, double figure fish coming through at that stage as well. You get the spring fish, the classic spring fish from maybe seven up to 12 pounds in, in April and May and into the beginning of June. It used to have a phenomenal run of harvest fish, a really, really great run. And that was one of the things Caramore, or let's say Owen Moore, sorry, the river was best known for, was that, uh, that harvest, harvest run. It seemed to die off, to be honest. I think they, they could have been poached out of it. And, um, if you were to go and research it, you'd see a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, court case activity back in 2011, 12, 13 related to it. It went it went catch and release then from about 2014 until it's still catch and release. And um, I think it will be opened this year. The club have been very careful and they, they were given a number of tags last year and the year before, but I think they maintained it as catch and release themselves. But the numbers really have come up. I mean, if you went back six or seven years ago, it had reduced down to maybe 12, 1500 fish in the year on the river. And now it's back up again over 3000 by, by careful management and catch and release and, and more presence by uh, by fishery officers and locals alike and landowners keeping keeping a close eye on it to make sure it wasn't being poached. Is you're wetting my appetite something else here, Brian, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Darren, that you know I'm not gonna release this episode actually. I think we should just keep this to ourselves. It'll be heavily edited. It'll be about two minutes long. <laughs> 
Lads, that's that's only the fishing. I mean, the whole of Bangor Urus and the whole of Urus and Belmullet, it's uh, it's a fantastic place. You know, there's so much to do down there. Like if you have Ballycroy National Park, I think they, they tried to rebrand it recently as Wild Nathan or something. But I mean, that National Park is just, it's huge. I mean, it goes from Clue Bay on the, the, the western side of Mayo or the southern side of Mayo, goes all the way up to Ballycastle on the northern side. There's a road goes from Ballycastle into Urus. There's one that comes from Ballycroy. And one of those touches the northern coast of Mayo. One touches the southern coast of Mayo. There's only one other road that goes in. And, and you know, the, the entire distance across Mayo from south to north is, it's 50 kilometres. And there's only one road that goes from Castlebar to Bangaruris to get you through the centre of all that and into Mayo. I mean, you're driving down the car. You want to be watching out to make sure deer doesn't come bombing across the road and, and take you out of it. You know, you might you might get your fishing destination at all. <laughs> like you can you can drive you can drive from Castlebar to Bangaruris 35 miles straight without meeting a shop on the road of any description. It's 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 fantastic. You know, it's just the and there's so much to do down there. You have the Bangor Trail. It's a big long walk across the Nathan, the Nathan Beg Mountains. You know, it's I think it's about forty kilometer trek. It dates back to back to the, the, the I think the the Iron Age. You have the Cage of Fields up near Bally Castle, which have five thousand year old farmlands were found underneath the blanket bog up there. I mean, there, there was a man. I think there was a man, a local man digging his turf in the 1930s and he came across these rocks 10 feet down in the bog and they investigated it at the time and thought nothing of it and sure like all good stories go 40 years later in the 1970s his son became an archaeologist and by 19 the mid-1990s the OPW had built one a world-renowned visitor center up there and it's you know it's it's now known as one of the one of the best examples of a blanket bog and, you know, a set settlement and farming lands going back, as I said, 5,000 years. You have to cycling, loads of, loads of walkways down there, Caratig Loop Walk, you have Cairn Golf Links. But you yes. still don't have Sam. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ooh! We time. We That's coming we from the dubs. We haven't, we haven't time for Sam. We're too busy fishing. <laughs> Look, you've all, you've all, you've all, you've all the sea fishing down there. You have, uh, you have the best of beaches. You could go visit the Inish Key Islands, which was a whaling station in the 1930s. I could go on and on and on. There's, there is so much to do down there. But yeah, we still don't have Sam. You're right. <laughs> Last question for you, Brian. It's been. Um, brilliant listening to it. Um, like I said, whetted my appetite. I'm I don't know that part of the country at all. Um, I'm definitely going to take a road trip down there. Um, in the next few months, tell us, Kurt, you've obviously been fishing a long time. What's been your most memorable fish on the fly, and not necessarily from Caramore? Yeah, um, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to beat the first spring salmon I caught, but. To be honest, I think it's a pound and three quarter trout on Loch Mass. Really? Back in, uh, yeah, back in, back in, back in the last, the last Saturday of March in 1997. You know, 
when I was younger, I, 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 was, I was brought up fishing the local river in Westport and, you know, bouncing, bouncing worms down the river and learning the, the feel of the fish and where the holes were that you'd, you'd have a trout sitting and things like that. And I think I went, I went from there then into spinning for salmon and, you know, flying seas and tobies and things like that. And it was always a great, when you got that hit under the water, it was mighty. I gave up fishing then for a while because I played too much football and went off to college and, and lots of stuff like that. And I kind of, I think in my mid twenties, I was up on the shore like Mast one day and I saw a friend of mine out in a boat and he called me out and we went out and he had a spare rod with him and he asked me if I want to throw a few, a few casts. And we were drifting down by Mam Trasna. I'd been spinning on the shore there. And I, I was fishing a golden olive at the time. It wasn't even the classic olive, golden olive bumble that you'd fish now. It was just the golden olive with the, the bronze mallard wing. And Jesus, up, up head and tailed a, a brown trout to me at a pound and three quarters. And I think from that day on, I was just a fly fisherman. It just happened there and then. And just the whole thrill of seeing a fish coming up out of the water. That, 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 that did it for me. And, I, you know, I, I hadn't fly fished till then. You know, I was in my, in my mid twenties at that stage, and you know, it was then I then I found the the Caramore grills, and after that, you know, I, I went on the went on a, I met Tom through a lot of competition scenes, fishing right. kind of yeah. different things like that, and that's where we got to know each other. And I was Jesus the Bank Holiday Monday then down in Caramore in two thousand and five. We we hit that spring salmon, and I can I kind of kind of keep myself off the lake down there now. It's all, it's all about watching that fish coming up over the flies for me, Dara. But a pound and three, pound and three quarter trout did it. And after that, you were you were lost. You were gone. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. If anybody wants to um, book tickets, boat guiding, what, what's the website they should go for the club? Go to uh, bangerurusangling.com and you'll get a phone number there for the fishery manager. Great guy, Seamus Henry. He's uh, he's been looking after the job there as fishery manager for as long as I've been down there, and he he'd certainly look after you. Look, there's there's peak times it can be hard to get on it, but um, give him a call. He he'd find a slot for you. If either of the two of you are ever interested in going down that way, just you know, give me a buzz. I'd love to bring you out. I'm I'm putting it on my list now. Just just the last point, lads. Like we myself and the two lads I fish with, Dave and Toby. You know we. We went off. We went off to South Uist to chasing sea trout in the in two thousand and six, and had great fishing. And we went to Canada in two thousand and eight. Now, wasn't as good as it says on the tin. You're fishing on a lot of reds and things like that in Canada. We didn't get the best of fishing, but you know we're we're all the time talking about going to Tierra del Fuego and you know the Rio Grande and things like that. But it's big money, and why would you want to go anywhere when you have Bangladesh? That's what we always end up saying. So I'll leave it there. We said, if you know, when we were talking to David McAvoy last year, when he said, you know, you got to remember what's available in the west of Ireland the first couple of the months a year surpasses anything else at that time of the year anywhere else in the world. I agree, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Brian Hope, thanks a million for Thanks a million, us. Brian. Fair play to you. Thanks a million. Our thanks to Brian Hope for joining us on the show. And you can also visit bangerarisangling.com for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. <laughs>